Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast, brought to you by HypeBot.com. Lots Thanks, of love, Bruce. always, to Bruce and everybody at HypeBot for everything you do to support the podcast and the music industry. So, Jay, today we've got, I don't know if I'd call this a returning guest. He was part of yeah. a previous show. Really. He was lurking. It, you were lurking there. You were lurking there. We, we're, we're joined this week by... Rato Peter, a producer extraordinaire. Let's put it that way. I'll let you define extraordinaire. A um, few weeks ago, Rato was sitting in on, on the episode we did with Dave Lopez from the band Flipside. And uh, we immediately said, dude, we need to have you come on and share your experiences. So here we are. Rato, thank you. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. This is, this is great. This is an honor. And uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know, extraordinary. I don't know if you want to call that. <laughs> well, you I, know, I, you I must have more of a working class producer. <laughs> you, 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 you've got an impressive resume. Let's let's be honest. So why don't why don't you fill everybody in here real quick? What you've done, your history. Um, so after, so I was born and raised in, in Switzerland, and uh, I wanted to get into recording and producing. I knew that uh, once I was done with high school. So I went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston to do the uh, the music production and engineering program there, which is awesome. So I, I got a musical education, but also some studio education there. Um, and from there, I moved to New York and worked at the studio called The Magic Shop which is a legendary one-room facility that, like, Bowie did his last record there, for instance. And, and, and um, so there's a lot of great uh, people that came through, ma mainly bigger indie um, artists that came through. And um, I started, I interned for a whole year there until I was able to move up to assistant engineer and then did some engineering there as well. Um, I was there for three years and just got to see uh, so many great, uh, producers and, and engineers that coming through and making real records and right. people like Jack Blake, John and yellow, Don Fleming, uh, uh, Dave Sardi. I mean, just top notch people that, that I was just able to be a, even just a fly on a wall to see these people work. And, um, something a lot of people don't get to do anymore because just the big studios are going away. A lot of projects are being done at home. Um, so it was a real privilege to, to be able to do that and and was that all analog you know i started there in 97 and they just got a pro tool system so and i'm actually coming from school i was the guy who had the most knowledge in pro tools compared to all the other engineers that were working there so i was kind of the pro tools guy for a while and um helped them integrate uh pro tools i was five at that point i think or even four i don't remember and wow. um but so a lot of it was hybrid. So we would track onto tape and then transfer it into Pro Tools, do overdubs in Pro Tools and, and so forth. So it was a very, you know, sync up Pro Tools and, and, and 24 tape machines and, and do a lot of work like that. So most of it was still done um, in analog. Um, yeah. Towards the end, towards the end of, of the 90s, it was definitely all mostly Pro Tools. Yeah. Um, what kind of records were you working on back then? Well, I was mainly an assistant. I, I did um, a Boss Hog Records. Uh, I worked some records um, with Chad Blake, a singer-songwriter, which 
I assisted on. I'm trying to remember what it was, but um, a while ago, Ron, Ron uh, Sexsmith. Um, oh yeah, I love Ron Sexsmith. Yeah, he's awesome. I, was, I did a little uh, assisting on that one, but you know, mainly it was that time for me was was learning. It was a learning experience and seeing these people work. Um, and then in 2000, so I was only there for three years. Uh, in 2000, I moved to the Bay Area and uh, started working at Studio 880, which eventually became Jingletown uh, Green Day Studio in, in, in Oakland. So I was there for, for a few years, and I did everything. I was, I, when I started there, I was an, another assistant, and then assistant manager, and then I became the studio manager, chief engineer. Um, we During that time, the three years I was there, we actually built out the studio from one room to a three-room facility. Um, and that's where I met Green Day when they uh, came in to work on American Idiots. And I was hired to be one of their engineers. There was two engineers, me and Chris, uh, Chris Dugan. Um, and Green Day was in the studio for a whole year writing American Idiot, basically, in the studio. Um, and so I got to see that, how wow. that amazing record came together. Um, unfortunately, once they wrote the record, and de- sort of, sort of speak, demoed the record. They went down to LA and re-recorded most of it. Uh, there's only a few tracks that that stayed on the record. Um, so, uh, just quick question. I mean, why why did they do that? Did the label want them to go down and record it in LA? I think so. Yeah, I think so. It took um, the way they started was they kind of started out with a certain idea how they wanted to approach the record, and then over the course of the first few months it crystallized that the label wanted something else and so they kind of had to change direction and the label was a little bit more involved um and once we had the record together i mean those two those two um mini operas that are on that record those long songs um those were just piecemeals together we just would add stuff on top of each other so once we were done with that song when once they were done writing that song it was just an editing nightmare so we would take from different songs and put it together. Um, wow. And so at the end, they had the song, but it didn't sound that great. So they they kind of had to go and re-record it. But just uh, the fact that they went down to LA was was a label decision uh, yeah. because they were they, they all live up here and they, they were sure. comfortable in the studio. So there's there's some political stuff going on there too, obviously, like like it is. But yep. um, and then, um, so that was a great experience. At that point, I, I uh, became a freelancer and started a production company with a friend of mine, and we found uh, and developed Flipside um, around 2003, 2004. Um, and then I went on and um, worked on a record with uh, Modest Mouse, um, and then with uh, got to do half engineer half of a record with uh, the Cranic Crows. Um, Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, yeah, which cool was record. Uh, great. I did that record at uh, Fantasy Studios in Berkeley, uh, which is in one of the last great studios. Yeah, in the iconic. Era. Yeah, I know. It's just closed. Just closed. Yeah. yeah, it's really sad. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I I started doing a lot of mixing uh, for my native Switzerland, and um, I worked with a handful of producers over there that kind of the top Swiss uh, producers in Switzerland, they would just send me mixes and I'd just mix them in Oakland at my little studio and then send them back and kind of the 
the the online mixing thing was was happening at that point, which was great for me. Um, and um, during that time, I also started producing more bands, smaller bands. And uh, also in the last few years, I, I produced a handful of bands back in Switzerland. So I would go back and um, kind of do the whole record from from demo to recording to mixing um, with uh, indie band, mostly indie bands and singer songwriters. Uh, yeah. Switzerland and and then back here, uh, I kept working with Flipside, uh, the other smaller projects that I would would produce and 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 mix and so it's just kind of a a piecemeal of of, of projects that just kind of you know were happening and and then at the same time also about um, I'd say eight or nine years ago I started writing music for licensing um, with my musical background I I. Uh, was actually approached by other musicians that had contact in, in the licensing world and wanted to get uh, some music out there. And me having a studio, having a musical background, I was sure. able to kind of fill their void where they had some music and they just needed to get it done. And so um, I've been fairly successful doing that as well, which is a lot of fun, just being creative and writing. And is music. that interstitial stuff? Is it full songs? I mean, do they just call you up and go, look, we need 13 seconds. It's got to be in this kind of vibe and you can turn it around fast. Or is it more you're just your own compositions? Well, a lot of times we, uh, I have a writing partner uh, and we have actually a production company, Tiny Tone Music. And we, we usually kind of find out what the need is, what mm -hmm. people need. Um, and then we say, okay, let's write 10 rock songs for, and, and then kind of target it for UFC. We had a bunch of music on the UFC channel. Oh, okay. Um, and so we knew it had to be fight songs, so it had to be aggressive. Have a certain vibe, yeah. Exactly. So we just did a batch. We usually work in batches. Um, and they're usually full songs. They're usually full songs. I mean, we kind of pride ourselves to, and whatever we do, even if it's just catalog music, it's it sounds like it could be on a record. Um, and uh, so it, that that's a lot of fun. Yeah. That's a crazy that's a crazy uh, industry in itself. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> definitely a whole different discussion. Right, right. Yeah. For 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 people who don't know, can you give us a real short, high level um, description of what a producer does? Yeah, you're, and you're, that you're, versus you're, you're, like an engineer too, because yeah, I know you do both. Versus an engineer, you're an artist. You're going in and working with a producer for the first time. What are you well, going to do? Well, I think it, it, it's worth pointing out there's really today's world, today's music, there's two kinds of producers. One, if you look at the hip-hop R&B world, a producer is traditionally known to be the, the song, the writer of the music. So they write a beat, and then they're called the producer as well. And then they have a singer on top of it or a rapper on top of it, and in the end, they split the songwriting, but the producer is usually the, the person that actually wrote the beats. Um, and a lot of times, the, the producer doesn't even meet the rapper because they just wrote the beat, and maybe the rapper just found that beat somewhere, liked it, you know, put a verse on it, and they put it out. But as in the credits, uh, the producer would be the person that actually wrote the, the song. So it's in that world, it's a little bit different. Um, in the, the rock pop indie pop world the producer has a more is, is a little bit more involved as far as the production of of the music goes but be, but maybe less of a songwriter so a producer usually is a project manager that's kind of what i look at so they 
they figure out the budget, they figure out how many days do we need. Um, and then also they help with the direction, the music, musical direction or style direction of, of a project. So if I have a singer songwriter that just plays guitars and sings, we have to have a talk about how, well, how does your record going to sound like at the end, you know? And, and so we, we sit down and, and, and listen to their song, but then also I listen to references of other records. It's like, oh, do you want to go old school? Do you want to go 60s, uh, Neil Young? Or do you want to go more poppy with a lot of electronic elements and stuff like that? And those are things that are really important uh, for a producer and for an artist to figure out, what are we doing with my music? Um, and so an instrumenter, a producer can be very instrumental in, in deciding and helping finding that, that direction. And then once that's kind of established and, and everybody is on the same page, uh, you go into the studio and you build these songs and with kind of a, a roadmap that you figured out before you uh, go in the studio. So, and the producer acts as kind of the, like I said, project manager or leader saying, okay, this was good enough. This, no, the sound is wrong. This tempo is not right and so forth. And so kind of leading the whole project to a, a successful completion um, because a lot of times the artists, when they do their record on their, their own, they don't know when it's done. It's so hard. I mean, for, yeah. you know, you, you work on something so much, you you're the writer, you're the performer, you're the producer. You don't know when it's good anymore because you're so close to it. You, you can't yeah. see the forest from the trees basically. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's always that, 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 that old saying that a producer's job is to say you're done. Stop. The music is the music is perfect. We're not doing any more because as you said, left to the artist, they're always well let me tweak the vocals a little bit more. Let me fix that guitar one. Yeah. It'll never be pass. done. You're sort of the I don't know, like the traffic cop that says, Okay, we're done. Yep. Absolutely. And I mean, I know a drummer, he's he's been the best drummer I know. He's worked on he's played on amazing records, big records. And when I get him in the studio, I know that like the second or third take are going to be the are going to be the best takes. But he was like, no, 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 I can do it better. I can do it better. So he goes yeah. back in. He does ten takes, and at the end, I tell him, look, I know that take two was the best. You just didn't want to believe me, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's where a producer, if it was, you know, his call, he probably would have got gone with take ten, which lost its life. It was played perfectly, but had no yeah. soul. Whereas as a producer, I can step back and say, I listen to these with a fresh ear and I say, no, this one's good. It has a few mistakes, but it has to feel. And yeah. um, that's one example of... of, of How much do you help paint the picture? How much do you uh, say to them, look, I really think this needs a horn section, or I really think you need to be using these types of instrumentation or bringing in this type of percussion? Do, do you kind of get into kind of helping them craft the actual uh, painting itself, so to speak? I do if it's needed and if it's... Yeah. Needed. I mean, you definitely have bands, mainly, especially if I work with bands, they have their sound kind of figured out. Yeah. And so uh, it's a conversation to have. They might have... I might, you know, throw it out there and say, oh, it'd be really cool to have some strings on this course. And they might say, oh, that's awesome. Or they might say, you know what, no, we're not feeling that. And then, you know, if they're saying, if I, you know we might have an argument about it and, and then figure something out. I mean, but 
Um, but if it's a singer-songwriter where the songs that they bring to the table are very bare, then uh -huh. I'm, very, I'm very involved in, in you know, instrumentation and what we should put there, here and there. And, yeah. Um, how, how, so do you, project. how do you have the conversation with a band or a musician that is, you know what, your guitar player is not cutting it. I need, I know somebody who can come in and lay down the guitars for you. The drummer isn't hitting it. Yeah, I'm not we've all heard it. these stories. You know, the, the ghost musicians. How do you have those conversations? That's a tough one. I That's bet. a really tough one. Um, I mean, I, I, I really feel that in the end, um, the name on the record is the bands. So they have to be able to live with it and stand behind it, but also be proud of it. Um, and the projects that I do are not that you know, high profile that it has to be necessarily the perfect record. So, I mean, I, I definitely take it into consideration because the product that I'm going to put out there has to be as good as it can be. But at the same time, I want the musicians that make that record also feel really good about them and stand behind the record and say, dude, I, this is me, you know? Right. And I'm proud of the, this. Yeah. Proud of this. And, and that means, they want to promote it too. They want to go out there and, and try to sell it or, or, you know, put my name out there too, if they're really proud of the work that I've done. Um, so it is a really tough one. So a lot of times I try as, as hard as I can with the artists, with the musicians to make it sure. happen. And Have then, you, oh, go ahead. all come to a point where we sit down and say, and I say, look, it's just not quite cutting it. What do you guys think? Yeah. And if it's something that we can, come to the same agreement at the end at the end of the day it's like uh, then it's easier to have that conversation as opposed to i might know from the get-go it's like that guitarist player is not going to cut it i know already but i think the band or the artist has to go through these emotions and it's like well let's try let's they, try they have to I, almost they come to that they have yeah themselves. they have to realize it themselves and then let you present a solution yeah yeah yeah, it's kind of like when I do mix revisions and the, and the artist comes in and says, turn up the vocal, and, and I tell them, it's going to be too loud, but I'm going to do it so you can hear it and then come back and tell me, yeah, you were right. Right, and right. It's, and that's fine. I think it's fine. I think they're, they're allowed to do that. Sure. You know? um, because, I, I, again, I think they... They want to not be proven wrong or anything like that, but I think for them, for a musician, for a band... Um, they want to know they have the best product they can get out of you know out of whatever they're doing, and and that that entails you know going down a wrong avenue and turning back, and I think that's that's all part of making a record and, and making a great recording. Of, of, when, yeah. when when I mean, when you make that record, when you do the recording, do you also have thoughts and considerations of is it going to be possible to perform this live? No. I don't care. <laughs> You're just trying to make the best song. Yeah, it's that's the band's problem. Yeah, that, that's not my problem. I'm going to make make the best sounding record I can that just blows everybody away, and then you figure it out how to play live. There you go. You know? there you go. I, I always tell I always tell people, look, I think live and, and a record is a completely different thing, and you can take uh, a, a crazily produced song that has I don't know 150 tracks. And you can play live with a three-piece, but you just play it a little bit differently. And But in the end, it's not about the bigness of the sound on stage. 
it's about how you project how, the energy that you're bringing on stage. So if you suck live, you know, all the backing tracks is not going to help you either. You know, yeah. and I mean, so, look, Queen played Bohemian Rhapsody live, you yeah. know, and they found a way to work around it. Let me ask a question about how deeply you get involved, because we all read these stories about producers like, for example, Mutt Lang, who would stay in the studio long after Def Leppard left and do more hand claps and more noises and more uh, backing vocals and things like that. Do you ever kind of like dig in and actually become kind of a... Uh, you know, an extra member, a fifth beetle, as it were. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. That, is it, <laughs> I, that must be a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, and, tell us and, about that a little bit. Well, I mean, I'm I'm a drummer, um, mm -hmm. and so just rhythmically, I have a lot of ideas, and and um, I mean, I do that stuff. I don't do it sneaky. I don't go in and do something and don't tell. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, look what I did. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I removed your drummer, and that's all me playing on the album. Uh, <laughs> And if I did, I wouldn't tell you guys anyway because I'm gonna get I would get in trouble with other bands. <laughs> but um, I I love it because sometimes it's it's the stuff that I'm hearing in my head. It might be easier for me to just do than or even a guitar lick. I, I play a little guitar. I'm not a good guitar player, but for certain pop licks, it's just like you just need to do da 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 da. -da. I can do that, and sometimes it takes. You know, if I'm working, if I'm editing a song by myself after the band is gone, I'm like, oh, I wish they were here, but they're not. I'm just going to do it real quick. And then I show it to the band and they're like, okay, cool. Yeah, I don't need to replay that. I mean, most of the time people are cool. If it sounds good. Sure. And yeah. same thing with certain percussion things uh, that it's easier for me that I just know exactly what I need to do. So instead of trying to explain to somebody, okay, play the shaker like this, and then take this shaker and play like that, I'm just like, you know, let, let me just do it. And then when you hear it, you let me know if you like it or not. And then if they say, yeah, we're not feeling that, I'm like, cool, you know, no, no ego here. And so I, I love, I love doing that. I mean, it's <laughs> it comes from me being a songwriter as well, and yeah. so it it's just kind of that urge. Um, absolutely but a lot of times you know i might if i'm sitting with a guitar player i might have an idea and we're working on it i throw out ideas it's like hey how about you play this or how about you play this and um i love doing that too i love working with guitar players in the studio have them sit right next to me and we just work out parts um so it's not like, like from the control booth like record from the control booth yeah as, you know when it, when i do guitar overdubs um just because a lot of times, especially in bands, everybody has their part that they're playing in their songs, right? I have my guitar part. You know, this sure. is what I play in the song. Well, in the studio, it's not really that way. In the studio, you can dissect everything. It's like, okay, in the chorus, this guitar plays this, and the verses, this guitar plays this. So you can dissect it a little bit more and pay more attention to the individual parts and also layer things. So it's not just one part anymore. You have different parts that interact with each other, and so it's um, it's it's a lot more fun being creative that way. Yeah. So so let me let me let me throw this scenario out to you. You've got uh, a new new band that you're going to work with. Mm -hmm. What what can that band do in advance to be prepared to be ready? to work with you to make this as easy as possible? 
Um, the first thing I would say is demos. You know, even if it's just rehearsal room demos, record your songs, listen to them, and then send those to me or the producer and get their feedback, you know, and, and, and say, what do you think? And hopefully the producers will give them feedback and say, you know what, I think it's too slow. I think, you know, the lyrics on verse two are kind of lame, you know, rewrite that. The hook melody is not quite there. Are you sure you want to do that chord? And so forth. So kind of yeah. start a conversation even before you have contracts or even before you booked a studio time. That's even before that. You don't need a studio for that. You just need an iPhone to record your song. Sure. You can sure. get that conversation going. So and so the band, when they come into studio, they have a fairly clear understanding. This is how the song goes. Yeah. You know, you and only a few bands professional professional musicians can go in the in a studio and rewrite a song create yeah create or rewrite a song it's just not you have to be super good that's a studio musician well you know yeah. you, you have yeah. to be you have to be super good but you also to some extent also have to have some deep pocketbooks if you're just going to sit in the studio and keep oh, rewriting yeah. and creating i mean back to green day when you said they sat in the studio for a year writing the album there, you know, there's a cost to that. Yeah, absolutely. What What is the cost per hour for a studio versus the cost per hour for your rehearsal room? Exactly. Compare it. Right, exactly. So pre-production yeah. is, is so important. And, uh, and that's another reason to work with a producer because a lot of times as a band, it's like, yeah, it sounds good to us. Well, yeah, but nobody wants to listen to your five-minute song. You know, cut it down to three and a half minutes. And, and so a producer can really, in those early stages, help a band, an artist, focus the song, focus the, the yeah. message of the song so much that, um, yeah, when you go back into, when you go in the studio, you're just like, okay, we know how this goes. Um, and yeah. then also, if, if the musicians are really, and the producer as well, is very prepared and has a roadmap, okay, this is the style that we're going for, this is the arrangement of the song, the tempo of the song, and so forth, then... And it happens all the time. You go in a studio, you start recording, maybe do the basics, and then you realize, you know what? It doesn't quite work. Something's not right. And then, but that gives you a little bit of a of freedom because you are so prepared. Then you have a little extra energy and leeway to say, oh, you know what? We have a little time. We did this first take so well. Let's do another take a little bit slower. And so that's kind of my motto too. Let's be as prepared as we can. So we have a little extra to experiment or to fix things or to change a little bit direction. I mean, I've done, uh, I worked with this band and we, we recorded one of their songs and we were pretty much done with it. And we sat down and listened to it and everybody pretty much at the same time said, you know, it's good, but it's not it. It's not it. And then we just kind of talked about it. And, and in the end, we realized, oh, we just need to slow it way down and make a ballad out of it. And then we talk about it. You know, is it part of the budget? Can we do it in this budget? Or do we have to spend some money? At that, you know, in that case, I was like, no, I, I, don't, I don't care. You know, I don't want to, you don't have to pay me. Let's just do it real quick. And we just, yeah. within a half a day, we cranked it out and we're able to just kind of turn it around and make a song that in the end worked for everybody. So, is it always per hour or do you ever get paid by a project or uh, points on the record or is it always just this much per hour it's never by the hour 
uh, as a producer. So what I, I mean, the thing is I wear a lot of different hats. So I, the stuff that I produce, I usually engineer as well and mix as well. Wow. So I give him a fairly itemized budget where I estimate this many days in the studio, the studio costs this much, and I charge that much as a producer and an engineer and all that stuff. So they can kind of see, oh, the project's going to cost 10 grand, 15 grand, 20 grand. And then um, at that, but uh, so if we need to go over, I can say, okay, we just need to add another day and a day is this much. Gotcha. So kinda, it's the, I, I think transparency is really important, but in the end, it's usually I get paid by the project. I say, okay, I get, I mean, that's how I charge as a mixer as well. Like it, yeah. I charge by the song, not you negotiate that up front. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, by the hour, I mean, studios charge by the hour. Sure. Uh, but that's, that's because you rent a room by the hour. And, and I feel like producing is different because you need to do pre-production and you need to do editing outside of the studio time. And sure. that, that's just part of the job, um, I think. And, and yeah, that's how I do it. Interesting. And do you get really involved in, it sounds like you do mixing, engineering, producing, but I'm sure there's situations where you're the producer and there is an engineer and there is a mixer. Is there kind of a, a lineup that you prefer? Do you like to be the uh, Brian Wilson, Tom Schultz that wears all the hats or do you like to kind of break it up? I like uh, wearing all the hats. I'm a control <laughs> freak that way. <laughs> <laughs> Your honesty is refreshing. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, a lot of times it it's, well, not only do I like, especially, I, I really like mixing. That's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. So I have a hard time giving that up. Yeah. Uh, and then the other, the, the engin engineering thing is, is, it's also a cost thing. Because if I'm engineering myself, you know, it's it's I can make it a little bit cheaper too, as opposed Understood. to another person that needs to be hired. Um, plus, sometimes it's just it's easier to. I mean, I grew up being an engineer, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. I wasn't a musician that got into producing; I was an engineer that got into producing, and I happen to be a drummer as well. But um, yeah, I like engineering, I know I like what kind of mics I want and, and the kind of sounds I want and how to get them too. So it's. I have a hard time letting go. Yeah. I bet. With, without naming names, can you give us one or two examples of things that musicians did that turned the recording into a nightmare, made it very difficult, may, maybe just it was one of those where this just isn't going to work. You know, they didn't come prepared. They didn't come ready. Well, uh, uh, one thing that has happened is maybe a, a musician that, um, first of all, is not doesn't is not respecting the role of the producer or the engineer for that matter, but just you know comes in and doesn't trust them. It's like uh, I don't think that's a good sound. Uh, I don't think we should do it that way. So that's one. I, I think when you hire a producer, you just kind of give up some of the control. And you say, you know, this person is a professional. They know what they're doing. We like what the way they work. We like what they do. So let's just have them take control. Micromanaging is is really annoying. Uh, when a when a when a bass player thinks they actually are a better producer, then <laughs> I mean, have you gotten to the point with some of them where you said, "Why did you even hire me if you're going to keep telling me that it should be done a different way?" Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I've had 
conversations like that. It's like, you are just a bass player. I'm the producer. So who are you to tell me when, you know, you're not good enough. I'm sorry. Your timing sucks. So, you know, it's arguments like that where I just, they don't see it, you know, and they don't see the big picture and they, they the, you know, do, 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 what they need to do really. I mean in the, in that case is it a is it a matter of you know the musician needs to set their ego aside uh, I, I think it's more like you do this and I do this and together we make a great product you know I I, I don't know I don't I don't want to say that you need to leave the ego at the door I think as a producer you need to, uh, because you are essentially serving the project you as a producer you're making sure the product is as good as it can be and not how great you're going to shine as a producer and how you know great you know it's, it's not about the producer it's about the project um and maybe the musicians need to do that too yeah maybe so it is an ego thing um where you need to okay I, i'm not going to have my guitar it's not going to be that loud but I wish it were louder, but and overall, it just needs to be that song. But for, so, the, for the sake of the song, for the sake of the album, yes. you, musician, need to be part of the team, yes. not the spotlight. Yes, correct. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, and especially younger bands need to learn that. They have a hard time with that. You know, they if it's they haven't if they don't have a lot of studio experience, it's a new thing and they just want to hear themselves. And it's like, no, that's not how it goes. And, um, so a lot of times, especially with younger bands, I, there's a lot of education going on too. Um, I bet. With them. And, and, and some of them, I have to prove myself first. It's like, they don't, they come in the studio and they're not sure, you know, what I do is the right thing. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, I've done it. I've done this a few times. You know, you just have to trust me. You're just gonna have to trust me. And um, but at the same time, I want to make sure that that an artist is heard as well. And I think that's really important that an artist doesn't feel like oh, everything is taken away from them. Their music is basically just taken for a ride, and they're not part of it. I need to make sure that the ride that we're going on, the musicians are part. They're on the wagon too, and we just all have a great time. Um, and that's, I find that really inter uh, important to listen to the input of the, of the artist, because sometimes even though they don't have any experience, they might have some good ideas actually. Yeah. And so I don't just brush it away. And, and so I think when a band works with a, with a producer, it's important to voice your ideas and your input as well. Uh, and just be, but be open for the producer to say, yeah, that's a bad idea. We, uh, no, we can't do that. Or that's going to be too expensive. Um, so it's it's a conversation that needs to be had, but by no way I think should the band go in a studio and then just have the producer tell them every note they're playing. That's it's a lang thing, I guess. But yeah. you know, again, unless you're that level, there's not a whole lot of producers then can can demand that that much you know power. I right. Think. But it is a collaboration, you know, it, it sounds like. Absolutely. And Absolutely. let me ask you about the, the studio itself, because a couple of nights ago, I had the, the pleasure of doing an event at Cherokee Studios with right. Chuck Robb. Um, and he took us in the control booth before things got going and played us a couple of tracks that he had recorded from a new singer-songwriter. And what struck me was... It had been so long since I'd heard that big, you know, Ampex 456, two inch, you know, like analog tape 
coming through this classic board, you know, that's recorded, you know, all these iconic albums, is it, does it always have to be pro tools and digital? Do you still record or can you can record, you know, analog and do any of the artists want kind of a mix of both or is it just now a pro tools world? Um, I'd say mostly it's a Pro Tools world. Uh, it's just also cost effective. You know, it's it's so cheap. Hard drives are cheap. Um, there is definitely a movement where more and more indie bands want to go back to analog and record their stuff through just a console into onto a two inch or one inch tape. Um, and I can I can see that it's fun because I mean one cool thing about that is that you have limitations. You have sixteen or twenty four tracks. That's it. You know, mm -hmm. make it work. Make it work. And but um, but at the same time, I mean, if you if you want to keep the masters, you pay for these tapes, and that those are over three hundred dollars for if you're running at fifty nips. That's fifteen minutes of, of music. That's two right. songs you can put on a reel, and they don't last forever. You know, they got to store them correctly, so, and yeah. Sorry. So it, it's it's a budget thing too, and and um, so. I've been working with Pro Tools for a long time. Yeah. Long. yeah. So you feel like you can make a warm enough, rich enough right. sound with Pro Tools, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at the mixes that are being done in the radio, and I'd say, you know, a huge, probably the biggest percentage is done in the box. I mean, there's big mixers that just, and I, older mixers too that I know that they, they just completely moved into the box because it's, being able to recall uh, is a huge thing, um, and just it's it's it can be more productive, really. And if you know what you're doing, and and Pro Tools sounds so good, well, that's the key, right? right. Yeah, it's, Pro Tools sounds really good. If you know what you're doing, if you know what you're going for, you can get it. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. the way I mix, I do actually use some outboard gear. I do use some analog gear to kind of bring that in a little bit too. They have a hybrid mix, but in the end automation and most of the, the processing is done in Pro Tools, yeah. Cool. Um, Rado, this, we could go on forever here. There's just so much to talk about when oh my it comes gosh. to studios and producers yeah, and engineers. And, you know, it, it's, it's the one thing that when I talk to clients, it, you know, I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding about yeah. that role. There's a there there's a lot of misunderstanding about what budget is needed and where budget should go. Um, you know, I, I I talked to a a client years ago and they were like, we just had to spend fifty thousand dollars to get into the best studio ever because that was going to give us the best sounding album. And I'm like, but you know, it's the people who are using the gear. It's not the gear. I, you know, it there there's that. It, I, I laugh when people go, wow, if I could just record my album on the same board the Beatles used. I'm like, but you're not going to sound like the Beatles just because it's the same board. <laughs> I mean, if I use the same laptop some DJ uses, am I going to be able to be a DJ? Yes, no. you are. <laughs> well, we all have that computer, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've got a MacBook and an iPad, right. but I'm not a DJ. I've it's got not, the same guitar that Jimmy Hendrix had. It's How not the gear. Play like Jimmy Hendrix? It's not the building. It's not the, you know yeah. yes there's a there, there's element. a vibe listen when i walked into the old record plant over here in sausalito there was a vibe there was you know you could feel history but that didn't mean i was going to be fleetwood mac right exactly <laughs> and and yeah and 
you know, that's why it's good to have a producer who can explain those things to a band, to an artist. And, and but at the same time, you know, for a band, how do they find some a person like that? So and uh, it it is kind of a, a an interesting kind of gray area. But um, I I do feel it, it's important to have an outside person work on your project and help you guide you through through the whole process because it's it, you can get lost and you can spend fifty thousand dollars on a studio that you didn't really need to spend you know and um at the same time i think it's also you know you can call up a studio and say we want to book time in there and and produce our cd there but a lot of times they you know there's no in-house producers there's just engineers they'll so they'll just hit record right and so a producer is extra you know that's another person from the either i mean they, they, the studio might refer you to a producer that can help you, or maybe the engineer that's recording you can also be hired to be the producer. But that, those are not the same things. It, I can be an engineer. I do many engineering sessions. I keep my trap shot. I just hit record, make sure the signal is great and they sound great. But it's not my decision to tell them, oh, yeah, you know what? That guitar part is, is not that great. I mean, I, I do a little bit. I tell singers when they're out of tune and things like that. But... <laughs> I don't come up with new backing vocal parts and things like that and arrangement things. That's a producer's job. As an engineer, I just record. Um, so that's a, that's an important distinction to know as well, that if you go in the studio, just like you said, yeah, you should probably hire the, the producer to do these records because then you're actually going to get closer to what you want. Right. As right. opposed to just the board. You know, the board, is it's a, it's a piece of machinery so. it's a piece right. of machinery with some buttons but you got to know how to move those buttons and adjust yeah. those sliders the right way that's yeah. right so 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 Rado, where can where can people find you online if they're interested in talking to you hiring you finding out more info where where can they locate you um my website uh ratopeter.com it's r-e-t-o-p-e-t-e-r.com um also my uh my my production company is smalltunemusic.com, same site. Um, or you just Google my name. I'll, I'll, I'll pop up, um, and you'll find my website. And my website has, has credits, what I've done, has contact info and all that stuff. And so I'm in Richmond, California, uh, beautiful bay. And yep. I've got my studio here. And, uh, yeah, that's basically Fantastic. Awesome. This, this, was, Fantastic this was excellent. Radar. I'd love to have you come back on and – you know, we could start digging deeper into some of the the high level topics that we just love to be continued. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Rado, awesome. very much. Well, thank, thank you, you so very much. much. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. See ya. <laughs>